Welcome to Own It from Women Lead Change. I'm Tiffany O'Donnell, the CEO of Women Lead Change. On today's episode, I talked to Beth Trejo, the leader, mentor, torchbearer, innovator, founder, and CEO of Chatterkick. As a trailblazing entrepreneur, Beth loves to take risks, and starting Chatterkick in 2012 was her biggest one yet. Defying the odds of successful female-founded startups, Beth not only prevailed, she grew her company with predominantly female staff. She incorporates her passion for the digital landscape and social media into nearly every role she has known, from her craft as an entrepreneur and local business advocate to her calling as a wife and mom of two tech-savvy kids. So Beth, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey and how you got to where you are today. Not a very big question, is it? <laughs> uh, so um, I'm Beth Trejo. I'm the founder and CEO of Chatterkick. We are a social media agency that um, was born in the Midwest. We, we started in Sioux City, Iowa, and have expanded both our client base as well as our employee base all over the country. And never thought I was going to be an entre- entrepreneur. I actually, my background is in um, public relations. I went to college in Eastern Iowa and um, really saw a problem when I was working at the Chamber of Commerce. And that problem was businesses didn't know how to navigate the mess and the world of social media. They didn't have enough time and they didn't know how to use these tools. So I created a solution for that. Um, and since then, we have grown our business. We have about 20 employees, plus some partners that work with us, um, predominantly female staff. So I'm excited to chat more about that today. And um, yeah, it's just been a wonderful ride. So tell us a little bit about what you do at Chatterkick. Yeah. So um, we work with brands and businesses that look at social media as a communication tool. So it really crosses three categories. So we have you know, the traditional marketing arm where we use digital tools and tactics um, growing just from the social media platforms. We now have more tools in our toolkit, but um, we help develop sales programs from a digital marketing perspective, as well as, um, you know, help to fuel that growth. And then the other two things that we really work in is the customer experience and customer success. So when people are on social media, they are looking for two-way communication channels. And so we help brands respond back to all of that reputation management um, and really use the social media tools as that communication platform. And then the third strategy that we oftentimes deploy is recruitment and employee engagement that's on the minds of many business owners today. And we use these social media tools to help them um, with that digital recruitment and um, keeping their employees engaged and making sure that their offline experience is connected to their online. So how long has it been in existence and, and how radical or not radical have the changes been that you've seen in terms of social media? <laughs> so we're 10 this year. So this is a big year for Chatterkick. Um, and, you know, the changes definitely and they happen all the time. And I think part of that makes us an awesome agency because we don't know any different. We know how to navigate the constant platform changes, the not knowing that they're being released, the variances of platforms. So part of that, I think, really gives us an edge for inserting other tactics and tools because we're just used to, you know, running on that hamster wheel. But I think the biggest change as it relates to social media and the platforms 
is because it's become so much of a table skate stakes game for businesses that they've oftentimes kind of just thrown everything out there, right? Like so many businesses just view these tools as this push salesy platform. And while it works for sales, that's still not how as consumers we want to interact on these platforms. And so there's really, I think we need to return back to the humanity of it all. And that really is our mission at Chatterkick is to connect humans to what they care about most, because regardless if we're in B2B or B2C, we're still you know, human to human. And, you know, we want value from our brands and our businesses. And I know businesses want that. They just don't always know how to communicate it appropriately. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to wonder how much your gender plays into your mission. Um, you know, I, I always say I hate to generalize, although women is in the title of my organization. So I, I, I generalize, I speak in generalizations often um, about, about women. What what was it? What has it been like? I guess initially, as a female founder, do you feel you had different barriers uh, than maybe others had? You know, why or why not? Yeah. So in the beginning, definitely, um, primarily because when I left my job at the chamber and decided to start a business, I found out I was pregnant right in that mix, and I had a. T- 18 month old at home, my son was. And so, I mean, I couldn't really delegate that part off, right? So I was starting a business. I was horribly sick. I found out like two months after the business launch that I had a rare condition in my pregnancy and it was very high risk. So all of these things, you know, it it, ha- it happened because I was a woman, I was pregnant and I was trying to figure out how I was going to navigate that, especially you know, I didn't have employees. We were just starting out. And so that was a unique challenge that I had in the beginning. I didn't have a maternity leave because that's not a thing when you start a business, or at least it wasn't for me. Um, I remember my daughter was in the NICU and I was literally in the recovery um, after having a C-section emailing customers and clients because you know, they needed in my brain, they needed something. (laughs) Um, I don't know if they actually put that pressure on me or I think I just put it on myself, but it was a big challenge um, to overcome. I think it made me stronger. And I always joke with my daughter who was the baby um, that she was like the kid that nobody knew really existed. Like she was such an easy infant and baby didn't cry, just kind of sat next to me on the computer and really was, um, a great partner um, as I, you know, scaled the business in that first year. I definitely felt that in the beginning. I think the other thing is that people didn't really take me seriously. Um, they thought I was just going to do this a little Facebook thing in my um, in my house, and you know, like the questions they would ask me in many regards were demeaning. Um, but I didn't let it get to me, and I knew that like the best way to prove them wrong, if you will, was success and to do some great things in the world. And so that's what I did. You know, it's interesting. I spoke with a group of entrepreneurs recently and very similar, very similar accounts to what you said, men and women, frankly. Um, We know that more women have entered this entrepreneurial space post-COVID. Advice for them, what were, if you could just identify the things that were critical to your success, whether it be, I'm not sure if you look for outside funders 
Um, but how did you, you know, what, what are some of those things that an entrepreneur, specifically, we can talk female entrepreneurs, need to know when pitching their business to investor or anyone else for that matter? I think that imposter syndrome is real. So that is one thing that I would encourage people to kind of get out of their own way and understand that they do have value to bring to the table and to not let that be diminished. Ask for what you feel like you need. Don't be afraid to go low. Don't let the money be a barrier for you. And especially if you're doing, I did not have outside funding um, from an investment perspective, but I do think that women don't always come across in the way that like they're asking for the moon, right? They may ask what they need. They may ask, or they feel like, you know, it's, that's a lot. Um, and so being able to talk freely and openly with whether it's people that have done this before mentors about money is really important so that that isn't, cause that is really important in the beginning, right? You need something um, to get started. And the other piece of advice that I would give them is, treat connections just as valuable as currency because the best thing that someone can help you with is probably not even just give you money but it's giving you the right connections to get customers because we all need customers when we're starting a business and so those connections and the relationships are so so important in all different business models and really putting that value on those i think helps to kind of break down the kind of scariness if you will of starting a business. Did you have to make a conscious decision to step away from the chamber? I know that's always a question we get um, from entrepreneurs. At what point do we step away and make this our full-time gig and not just a side hustle? Yeah. So that's an interesting one because again, I never thought that I would do this. Um, I never, I, looking back, I definitely am a risk taker, but if you would have asked me, I would have been like, no, I need financial security. I do not like taking risks. And it's funny when I tell other people that because they're like, you seem like that's always been who you were. Um, and so when I decided to leave the chamber, it was hard. I loved the people I work with. I love the job. Um, it was a good job. And I think what really motivated me was I didn't want to regret it. I knew that the time in my 20s and 30s were a really big and critical point for me to scale my career. And I was going to have to take some big leaps if I didn't want to get into that like next generation where I saw so many friends and, and connections of just not loving what they were doing. But it's really hard to make a change when you have multiple families members to support and you have a house payment and all this stuff. And so I really noticed that in the beginning and I wanted to make sure that I was taking calculated risks. Um, and in, especially in a service-based business, my biggest risk was I could always get another job. And I felt confident in that. Like I felt confident in getting a job and, you know, I was willing to change my lifestyle so that I could make it happen. We, we hear, especially from women and, and honestly, it's, well-founded. I mean, especially if you're a single mom, for example, raising a family, your opportunity to take those risks is, is minimized for sure. Um, but for those of us who may not have all of those barriers, we know that you know fear can be absolutely debilitating, fear of failure specifically. Yeah. Have you ever wrestled with that? And, and maybe you could even share with us uh, maybe a, a moment where you did fail at something and kind of the role that that may have played in going forward. 
my biggest fear is like, I don't want to let other people down. And to me, that's what failure looks like. And so there's been so many times when that has probably motivated me more than, you know, other things that were more critical to the business. And so that really has been my biggest challenge, trying to navigate like making hard business decisions or decisions for me personally, and not trying to just people please and make everybody else happy. Um, so that was a challenge and continues to be something that I work on. I didn't have as much of a fear of just like closing up shop or completely like, and like, especially now the, the fear of failure is a very different form of failure. Again, I don't want to let my team down. I don't want to let our customers down all of that. But I, I mean, I did, I have started other businesses that just didn't work. Um, one of the businesses that I had started was a, um, an international business that was primarily um, for websites and it was based in the Philippines and um, great people. Uh, the business model was pretty straightforward. It just didn't work in my lifestyle. The time change was really difficult for me, especially with little kids. I was trying to project manage across eight to 10 hour timeframes and it just became one of those things that I had to ask myself, like, why am I doing this? Like, I can figure out another way to, you know, do websites and offer websites. Uh, and so that was one of those things that I just had to say, great opportunity, learned so much about international business, but um, it's not going to work where I'm at right now. And so we had to just move on. Interesting. Those kinds of examples are powerful because I do think that, um, you know, fear of failure is absolutely real. Certainly we, we know when it comes to women, my, my male counterparts will often say, one of the revelations, one of them said to me, oh my gosh, if it doesn't work, you know what happens? The sun comes up tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I mean, just like so basic, but I think, you know, and I, and I resemble this remark. That's why I say this. I think it can be, it can stop us from doing things just um, for fear of a poor outcome. Mount Mercy University was founded in 1928 by a group of bold women intent on breaking barriers. Inspired by the Sisters of Mercy, Mount Mercy is committed to fulfilling their mission to expand abilities, equip you to lead with purpose, and empower you to accomplish your goals. Mount Mercy offers graduate, accelerated, and traditional programs to people from all walks of life. Their forward-thinking, future-focused approach puts you on the path toward success. Mount Mercy University. The future is female. Their past was too. Discover more at mtmercy.edu. There are opportunities to be fearless every single day. Try a new food. Send an email to someone you'd like to get to know. Learn a new language. Speak up in a meeting. At The Business Record, fearless means being bold in facilitating complex conversations about gender issues and connecting those who, like us, believe that women's issues are everyone's issues. Fearless has one simple goal, to help empower Iowa women to succeed in work and life. Join us at fearlessbr.com. You mentioned you have kids and you're in the social media biz. Yeah. How do you handle social media with your kids? I think we're all looking for for, for best practices in this day. Um, the same way that I help them learn how to ride a bike, uh, training wheels before I would send them in a, you know, front of a busy street. I think that we don't do that enough for our kids and I don't have all the answers. I'll be the first one to say this. My kids are nine 
and 11 and they do not have cell phones um, and they resent me for that. And not that I'm judging anybody for getting their kids cell phones, but I understand the tracking and the risk and really the mental health of all of these platforms so much. And I think that they're great and they do amazing things for businesses and for even connecting people. But our kids don't always have that understanding of real life versus online life. And so it's really important to start a dialogue with them. I mean, I let them watch and look at the different platforms. They can use my phone for a certain amount of time. Um, they will be exposed to things that are not great. And I'm going to have to help them navigate that. But I think it's really important that you don't just give your kids an open Snapchat and open TikTok account and just hope that they are in the right you know, channel on these things because there is some really disturbing things. I mean, there's the, the bad things that we all think, but there's some really just pieces of the world that maybe you don't want your kid to be exposed to yet until they have a little bit more of a life experience and they can process that information. You know, my kids are 19 yesterday. My youngest, my baby is 19, which is hard to believe. And my oldest is 23. So even in their four-year uh, age difference, the technology and how they use technology was very different. Um, and uh, I would say that it, it's hard to generalize about how, how differently they used it. But I will say, I used to always say, you know, be careful what you look for and what you look at because you can't unsee things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are some things that are scary and sad. And I, I just always wanted them to know that once you, once they saw something, um, you know, it's hard to take that away and erase those images. Again, putting more of it on them mm -hmm. because I do feel like our jobs as parents, because of social media, our jobs have to be done so much earlier in mm -hmm. terms of instilling, you know, the, the beliefs that we want our kids to have and their um, self-confidence and self-esteem and all that. We just, I feel like social media may have accelerated a lot of that. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think that there's some really great, amazing things that kids can get exposure to in the same vein, you know, just as much of the bad as probably equal amounts of good. I think the hardest thing is some of the emotional, um, feelings and just the mental health stuff, especially in those individuals that just process information, maybe more, they're more sensitive or, you know, one bad remark can really just rock them to their core. And you know, your kids best, right? Like, you know, the difference between, you know, the one that can watch a sad movie and just move on. And the other that's, you know, thinks about it for two weeks that type of like understanding and guidance on kids on how to process this stuff, I think is really important for parents because you're not always going to be there and they're going to be at their friends and their friends are going to have phones and their friends, you know, it's, I, I, we're never going to be able to control this stuff as parents, but you can help your kids navigate it when they encounter something that isn't right, wrong, or makes them feel bad. In terms of social media, where do you think we're headed? So really, if you look at what happened with web 1.0, like, you know, kind of when the dot-com bubble uh, exploded in the late 90s um, and websites really came onto the scene. And then you have web 2.0, which is really peer-to-peer -peer sharing, right? We were able to kind of connect with each other on multiple ways, multiple platforms. Web 3.0 is really interesting. And, it, and to oversimplify it, it's kind of like 
being able to have that peer-to-peer communication without, you know, Facebook being the main one or, you know, having that one or seven different channels. And you're seeing a lot of this and you're seeing it getting mixed with currency. And especially in other countries, some of their emerging social platforms are almost like a mix between games and gamifying um, online experiences. And that's what you hear a lot about this metaverse and that communication and peer-to-peer. And what that looks like, I'm not 100% sure, but I do know that people are going to continue to crave real relationships and real community, not some of the false ones that have kind of been created for them online. But I think this is where you're seeing why TikTok continues to accelerate so much is because the level of authenticity on that platform is so much greater than some of the other ones, right? Like we're over the Photoshop. We love pretty pictures, but we just want to know that like, if you're going to edit that photo, like tell me that it's edited so that I know what I'm looking at. Um, and so that's where I really think things are going to go more authenticity, um, more connection to currency, whatever that looks like to brands, businesses or individuals and more of that community building. Interesting. Um, so being a founder and a, a parent and an active member of your community, tell us a little bit about how you know you provide balance for, for yourself. You know, I've decided that there's never actual balance. I think that that word has a association that you have to like pick one or the other and you have to somehow make them move at equal paces and, and weights. And I don't think that that is something that I, I've, I've just, I've let that notion go long ago. To me, what it looks like is how can I bring energy that I get from work because I love what I do, because I'm passionate about what I do, making sure that I'm always learning because that's really important to me and take that attitude and then bring that into my home and personal life and also do the same things. Make sure that I feel like I'm adding value to my family, to my community. And when I'm in that good zone, then I bring it back. So it's almost like this flywheel of you know, how can you continuously bring value to others? Um, Because that's what makes me feel happy. Um, And, you know, do that on a regular basis. Doesn't always work that way. No, (laughs) I know. But I do think that to me that I'm a visual person and that always felt better than this scale that I would have to pick between work and my family, which I love my family so much more than anything. Right. So it didn't feel fair to try to pick that. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think one of the best words I've heard used is integration. You know, it's yeah. trying to integrate both pieces of all the pieces of your life so that it makes sense for you, which is different for all of us. Yeah. One okay, thing that I, has been yeah. really interesting that our team has been doing and I've participated in, volunteering has become a lot more accessible on the digital space. And I would encourage any of your listeners that if you are not one that has typically volunteered in the past or your time is really limited or you just want to volunteer from the comfort of your own home, there are so many cool things that you can do to help people and add real value for your level of expertise and what they're looking for. And it has just been such a rewarding experience um, being able to meet with people from all over the country and volunteer in a digital way. So I didn't realize how wide this 
space was, but I would encourage others to do the same thing because I think that it kind of adds a little break to your day and it's been really enjoyable. So what are some of the ways that you volunteer in this way or your so team? Personally, I volunteer for giving my like social media advice for nonprofits because that's where I feel like I can add direct value. But so many different nonprofits are looking for experts. They're looking for people to help them from everything from data entry online to being able to create content for them to writing um, financial help and advice, building Excel spreadsheets, you know, all the things that people have just unique skill sets of, but they're hungry for information because there's so many nonprofits and businesses out there, or, um, organizations out there that are doing amazing work and they just need like resources in small doses. And you can kind of decide if you want to do it on an ongoing basis or just like a one hour project. Um, I know that one of my team members is uh, speak Spanish um, as, as her first language. So she's interpreting a lot of their documentation and, um, you know, a nonprofit's um, flyers and all of that. And I, I just thought like, what a great way to just use your skills and talent and really make a difference. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thanks for pointing that out. You said 20 employees. Are you virtual? Are you in person? Is it a hybrid? What is that? look like? Yes, we're primarily virtual. We do have an office in Sioux City that we bring people to at least once a year in our annual retreat. And then we have team members that kind of go in and go out almost like a co-working space in some regards. Um, so we have a couple, a handful of people there um, on a weekly basis, but we have a lot of people all over the country. And so we really put priority in making those connections virtually and meeting people where they're at. A lot of people might be new to that environment. You know, it post post covid any suggestions on maintaining a good culture how do you do that at chatterkick in a virtual environment you have to get to know the people and i mean it's harder to do in in organizations that have hundreds and hundreds of employees but it's still doable and i think we need to stop getting from these like zoom call to zoom call to zoom call and just take a second and say how are you how are you feeling today like, not just like, oh, good, but like, really, how are you? Taking stake in other people's lives and their careers and just getting to know them as a person is so, so critical. And I think that you have to set priority on that from an organizational perspective. You need to put your money into it, whether that's like for us, we do a retreat. Um, we make time to do fun little games. Tri we, we're big trivia company. So we do a lot of trivia, um, you know, on, on some Fridays and we take time out of the day when we could be doing billable, you know, work and we don't, and we do and help each other. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. Cause I know a lot of, a lot of companies are new to this, even a hybrid environment and trying to find ways to maintain or, or even shift their culture in this, in this new world. So hopefully your advice can provide some support for them. One thing I want to add on that, because we did this early on, and I know some people still don't do as much of this, but digital equity is a thing. And so even my husband works in the business as well. And even when we are in meetings in the same house, possibly the same room, we are both on video call so that we have that same amount of kind of meeting power, if you will, with someone else. And if you're doing this hybrid model, 
I would really recommend still logging on to your video calls so that everybody feels like they have the same share of voice within the meeting and not necessarily a group of people. And then you have two people on a small little you know, screen. They can't hear as well. Their voice isn't as equitable. And I see this a lot in businesses still. And I would just recommend to think about that digital equity and how people are showing up around the table and whose voices are being literally muted and um, maybe not having the same experience. Excellent advice. I know many of those same companies are looking at how they do their performance reviews because mm -hmm. of just that, you know, really adjusting, making sure that we're measuring people on um, like metrics mm -hmm. for those who still must remain virtual for one reason or another. So thank you for that. One last question we always ask on the Own It podcast. How do you own it? Is, is there something about you that, that maybe at some point in your life, either you or someone else may have thought was a negative and it's actually turned into a positive? What is it about you or, or a strength that you've, you've always had? What, what is it about you and when, how do you own it? So my, in the Myers-Briggs, my personality type is the campaigner. And so people have given me feedback in the past that, why are you always selling me on something? You're always, no, it doesn't matter where we're at. You're selling me on a lipstick that you bought or a business idea. And I have owned that because I get excited about things and I am campaigning in every element of my life, whether that's a new recipe I tried that I think you have to try or something that is more on the business side. So I'm passionate about things, I'm vocal, and I'm not gonna apologize for being um, being the campaigner type. Well, and we are the benefactors of that today. So Beth, <laughs> thank you for your, your candid conversation and congratulations on an incredible company and an amazing and inspiring journey so far. We can't wait to see what you do next. Awesome, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I couldn't wait to ask Beth about how she treats social media with her kids. I thought that was really interesting. Applications for Girls with Goals grants are open. Do you know an organization that works to empower girls ages K through eight in Iowa? They might qualify. Apply at wlcglobal.org. We have plenty of opportunities to nominate inspiring women in your life with our Quad Cities Athena Leadership and Women of Achievement Awards. Nominations are available at wlcglobal.org. The Women Lead Change store is open with new book bundles. This is a perfect way to start a book club or support your virtual team. All of this and more at wlcstore.myshopify.com. Follow Women Lead Change on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it so much. More resources and tickets can be found at wlcglobal.org.